Hey, welcome to episode 12 of the SIGCAST. My name is Manpreet Singh. Thank you guys for joining. I had a great conversation with Inderpreet Singh on the evolution of Sikhi in his life, the retreats, conferences, camps, what's going on these days, what are some challenges, what are concerns, and some great things that we're doing at Siddiq this year. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's go. Inderpreet Singh, thanks for joining me today on this podcast. I appreciate you being here. Uh, let's start off. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. Um, well, um, what can I, where can I start? Um, currently, I'm in uh, the Boston, Massachusetts area. From a career perspective, I'm a technology professional. I've been in kind of the networking, wireless, and IT kind of technologies for probably 20 plus years. Uh, I went to school in in central Massachusetts um, back in the days when it was, you know, like electrical engineering, but quickly switched over to software and, uh, you know, IT stuff. Um, Growing up was actually probably a little bit more interesting. I grew up in multiple countries. I was born in India, but most of my life I was outside in countries like Japan, Canada, Canada. back to India for a little while, back to Japan. I graduated high school in Japan and came to the U.S. in about 87. Um, uh, Again, like I said, my career has been around the high-tech and professional area. Did a couple of startups uh, in the networking and security space. Now um, I'm actually involved in modernizing Department of Motor Vehicles for different states, bringing them into the 21st century with with newer technologies. So it's an interesting, different kind of space that I've been in. Um, I have a wife and two kids, two girls. Uh, their names are uh, Maskinkor and Paraskor. And, uh, you know, we've been here in a suburb. It's not a suburb. It's outside of uh, Boston, about 30 miles northwest of uh, Boston. And... Uh, doing the thing. I've, as uh, maybe some of uh, your listeners may or may not know, I've been uh, involved for probably uh, two decades or so in, you know, sick related events uh, around this Northeast and, and around the U.S. and sometimes uh, I spent in Canada as well. And um, that's kind of been a major portion of my life in addition to the career and family. Um, yeah, and I've been quite uh, involved in a lot of different things from, from that angle. So before we get into, you know, our topic today, which is retreats and conferences and other workshops and what youngsters are asking these days, because you're heavily involved in a lot of those things. How did a person mm-hmm. who was born in India end up in Japan? A thick family, <laughs> too. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, that's that's a long history. We could probably have a whole episode on that. <laughs> but uh, no, so <clears throat> my father's side, um, so my grandfather and, and his family actually were born and brought up in Indonesia, uh, the town which, you know, and typically when people ask, which, which village are you from? <laughs> Everyone assumes that it's in Punjab. But if you ask my dad, he would say his parent is Medan, Indonesia. <laughs> so... Um, so they were born, brought up there. After World War II, my grandfather uh, ended up in Japan um, for, again, whatever, multiple kinds of reasons. And uh, so my after he was settled in Japan, um, my grandma and all of the kids, my dad had nine siblings, they, they ended up, uh, not all of them, but most of the siblings ended up in Japan. 
uh, in the 1950s. Um, for um, his marriage, my dad did uh, live in India for a few years. Um, that's where my older brother and I were born. Um, my sister, and then we went back to Japan, and my, my sister was born in Japan uh, as well. So the family's roots started in Japan uh, in the 1950s. <clears throat> um, us kids kind of on and off in, inside and outside of Japan uh, and Canada. So my uncle started businesses in Vancouver and Toronto. My dad set up shop in Toronto in the 70s as well. And uh, but then back to Japan. So uh, I eventually ended up after 1984. Um, I had a stint in India um, in uh, the northern part in, in a place called Masuri in boarding school. So home was considered Japan, which is Kobe, by the way. Uh, the city where maybe some of your the listeners might know is where the major earthquake hit in the early 90s. Um, uh, so home was Japan, and because in in Masuri being you know like uh, up in the hills, uh, we did not have a long summer vacation like typically schools do in India. We used to have a winter vacation, uh, three plus months. So every winter time, I would be spending in Japan hanging out with you know kids in the neighborhood, watching a lot of Japanese anime, anime and cartoons and picking up the Japanese language from, from TV essentially. Um, but then after 1984, uh, my grandparents, my, my maternal grandparents who were in Delhi, they basically being my guardians, uh, didn't want us to come back because of the situation in Delhi and Punjab of 1984 onwards. And so I ended up in high school in Japan, an international uh, high school there in Kobe, graduated from there and ended up in Worcester, Massachusetts in 1987. Wow. So, so uh, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's pretty crazy and awesome at the same time. Um, right. <laughs> and maybe a little sad for the 1984 situation. So you, you speak Japanese? Yes, I do. <laughs> So Maybe not as, not, as, not as well as my, my other siblings or, or cousins, but uh, yes, yes, yeah. I do. No, I, yeah, no, no, I know your sister. I know she definitely does. So you uh, could be one of the few Sikhs in the world that's fluent in English, Punjabi, and Japanese. Um, actually, there, 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 yeah, I mean, there, there are a handful, but there are uh, definitely many. Um, uh, you know, so um, uh, recently I've, so uh, by the way, another thing, maybe a little tidbit that might be interesting for folks is the the first Gurdwara in Japan was in Kobe, Kobe, Japan. It was jointly started by my grandfather, my dadaji, and a Sindhi gentleman whom I just know as Mr. Motwani back in the 50s. So, so people of... Um, Indian, Punjabi, or Sindhi descent that lived there in Japan, they were actually quite fluent in speaking Japanese, plus their own language, Punjabi or Sindhi, Hindi, other languages. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the saying goes, at least in our family, my, my, my dad tells me that if, if my grandpa would speak on the phone with his business associates in Japanese, they, uh, they would not know that he's not Japanese. Uh, he, he became so fluent. And um, also, I never met my grandfather, but other stories is he knew uh, multiple languages, almost 10 different languages, Basa, Indonesia, Dutch, because Indonesia was a Dutch colony. Uh, so he spoke that probably 
and you know obviously Punjabi Hindi, and uh, my grandma was um, um, also originally from Punjab, but you know they were married in Malay, Indonesia, uh, sorry Malay, which is now Malaysia. I think it's uh, the city of Ipoh. So they knew Malay and all the other associated languages from that area. So, um, and even today now, um, there are many, uh, you know, families in Kobe. They're kind of the international families. They speak Thai. They're from Thailand. They have businesses in both Thailand and Japan. So they speak Thai, Japanese, Punjabi, and obviously English very fluently. So, um, yeah, my language skills are pretty good, but uh, there's a lot more people that have a lot more multilingual skills uh, that I grew up with around me. That's pretty awesome, man. I think that is wonderful. Anytime, <laughs> anytime six know, you know, other languages other than English and uh, Punjabi, Hindi, uh, it, it's pretty awesome to see and and, uh, and hear. Uh, but all right, let's get into, because uh, you're heavily involved in Sikh youth camps, retreats, conferences. Of course, you're part of uh, the Sikh Research Institute and you're in seminars and you do lectures and workshops uh, uh, around America. Uh, so my first question to you would be, and something that I want to know, is because you've been doing it for a while, and I, I known you for a long, long time. Uh, That's right. What would what would you say the difference is between the youth, the youngsters, quote unquote, millennials today, and what they what it was back when you first started going to these things and started uh, teaching the youngsters about Sikhi? What are what are some differences you see these days? <clears throat> Um, in them. Oh, that's 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 an interesting question um, because you know at at the at the surface of things as as you get older, right? I, what I realize is actually there's nothing different. Youth are always youth. They have this fire within them. They have this yearning and burning for, you know, thinking that we we can you know the youth have this idea. And when I, and I was a youth, I think we could conquer the world. We could we could make a difference, which is still the case. And many do make a significant uh, difference in the world. Um, so, but that's kind of, you know, that's a given. Well, from a personal perspective, uh, you know, I think back in when, when, so personally I started probably mid 90s, 95, 96 timeframe. Um, I, you know, I was just a standard, you know, sick uh, boy growing up in Japan and, or other countries. Uh, so never had this real activist type of mentality. Um, I uh, until I met like uh, you know like-minded people who were um, suddenly I see I saw you know energy within them, whether it be post 984 and you know really setting it straight uh, you know of the context of of uh, even though they may not have been directly involved physically in the 1984 era but just being being involved with the activism that sprouted as a result afterwards in the diaspora that was one aspect that i i saw was really powerful the, but the main one i would say is the real desire to connect with gurbani the way i started now and i'm i think this still exists today so but but it's not as visible as when I was involved is we used to have what was called the Gurbani Vichar session. So I can tell you in the Boston area, 
from around 1996 to 2001 or 2002. Constantly for those six years, almost every two weeks, sometimes a month, every month. So it was occasionally as frequent as every week. Um, approximately 10 or 15 of us would physically get together because, you know, the, the major difference, by the way, is that technology wasn't as advanced back, uh, back then. So uh, the, there may be Gurbani Vichar sessions going on. And I know of a fact that they do over Skype or over other technological you know, means. But back then we would we would haul our big dictionaries, Mahankosh, uh, other, um, you know, uh, books to people's houses uh, during weekday evenings, mostly sit down and just dig through, you know, Gurbani translations, either do interpretations ourselves, read through translations and critique it and, you know, really delve into getting associated with uh, the Guru Granth Sahib as much as possible. And we did that for a constant six years. And I can truly say that my growth of understanding i still have a long way to go but uh you know engaging with gurbani really uh, uh germinated and grew uh since then so the difference that i do notice is and there were and we boston wasn't the only region doing this uh this this kind of loose network that we had become a part of was washington dc la i think it was in the bay area vancouver um, and, and other major cities, uh, there were these little Gurbani Vichar groups uh, that had sprouted up. It was an organization or a loose network called the Sikh Network, sometimes known as Sinet. So I see that physical, constant, you know, consistent engagement of, and it was not only Gurbani, there were also, you know, other activist sessions, other different human rights related uh, sessions that people would get together for, history uh, study groups that would, be, that would sprout together. So a physical affinity of small concentrated groups, I think is something uh, that was different back then. Now we're seeing you know, more of a mass scale, more of it online. Uh, the Gurdwaras are getting bigger and bigger. And even though there may be extracurricular activities in the Gurdwara, like Gurbani uh, sessions, they're, they're, you know, the, there's a mass growth and scale of information but there's probably a more there's not a there's not a corresponding size of uh, you know physical proximity sitting down and doing Gurbani Vichar that's going on. So that's I think kind of one of the major things. The other one, back to the more activist type of um, um, you know uh, aspect is. Uh, I think uh, even back then there was this divide between the you know kind of the emotional going out and physically being present at protests in front of embassies and whatnot versus really trying to get to the authentic information and you know kind of authentic dissemination of information. There was a divide back then. I think it kind of still exists today as well. Uh, but again, in that area too, it's more of the uh, online presence versus the physical, you know, activism uh, that I see that is quite different. Uh, we we were doing a webinar for Sikri once, and I hosted like a, a panel discussion on 1984 and other activism. This was during the Rajwana uh, kind of time frame, and I remember one of the panelists saying that 
um, it's basically, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big growth of internet car crews, you know, so there's like kind of the slacktivism versus the activism, the online activism has grown considerably, but the physical, real on the ground, boots on the ground type of activism, uh, activism has reduced, which was really not the case, uh, I think probably two decades ago. I don't know if that answers your question yeah. quite well. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And it's like technology surplus, you know, it's like, why would I go mm -hmm. out side of my house, go stand there for something when I could just tweet about it, you know, right. and which, <laughs> which, uh, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm guilty as charged there too. So um, <laughs> I, I see, I, I mean, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. If we stay on activism for a second and mm -hmm. you uh, kind of said that, you know, now you don't see it, it's more like slacktivism, you know, I'm sure there's a, are there, are there, um, because I feel like in this age of information, everyone could like Google anything they want, find out more if they want to know more about Gurbani, if they want to know about Sikh history, you know, you, you could see everything on your iPad, right? So right. in this age of uh, everyone, you know, information overload, I guess. But um, even though I, d I still see Sikhs out there and, uh, you know, talking about things and, and going out, are there certain topics right now that really, uh, that you're seeing when you, when you go and you talk to, uh, you know, when you're at these camps or at the retreats, there's certain topics where they really cling on to, and then there's certain topics where they don't really care that much about? Well, I, I think one of the, the hot topics uh, online and also in the different, so, um, and that's been a very, very recent um, um, issue um, is the, the Sarbat Khalsa and Free Akal Takht uh, topics that, that come, came as a result of the uh, Sarbat Khalsa that took place in November. So in the, in the one or two events that I have uh, participated in, either as facilitator or otherwise, I see a lot of people really energized about that specific subtopic of the larger, you know, sick um, um, uh, array of, of, of topics. Um, but I, I have, and, and again, I, I can't say that there's been any drastic difference since uh, the time way back then, two, two decades ago. But um, somewhere or the other, at some time in, in any retreat setting um, or, you know, like uh, the leadership program we have at, at Sidic as well, um, the, the, you know, kind of what I call the more uh, external attributes of, of Sikhi uh, will, will get discussed. Um, and I'm not talking about the Panchkakar and, and, and other things more, you know, two of the most common things that we try to re actually refrain from, you know, even discussing because it's more of a divisive topic rather than a unification type of topic is, of course, uh, what what to eat and what to read. <laughs> Essentially, the meat topic and the dasamgan topic. Um, and nothing against that. Uh, and that there are, as we say, multiple schools of thoughts on that. And we kind of try to answer it. But, you know, uh, most of our time we prefer to be spent or I prefer to spend on what is the, the topics, what are the, the aspects that are more unifying and, and more problem solving than, than uh, you know, um, kind of the what quote unquote controversial topics might be. Um, I, I have uh, um, noticed and 
I would say it may be a connection. Uh, someone, at least from the Boston area, contributed to this. I have noticed that uh, there has been a lot of interest growing, and it was probably late 90s, early 2000s, uh, in the area of Gurmat Sangeet, uh, which has grown. Um, uh, you know, if you remember way back then, there was this very famous set of like 40 CDs of Taram Singh Zakmi. That was kind of the well-known you know, Gurmat Sangeet genre, and there were like a very small subset of people that were really excited about that. I remember I ordered my, my set from the UK, um, and uh, then, you know, by Star Singh genre of Gurmat Sangeet became quite popular. Um, but now, uh, different schools of Gurmat Sangeet, whether it's in Gurdwaras, whether it's in retreats themselves, uh, there's a lot of propagation of that old treasure uh, which is a great positive uh, change and difference that I see. Um, so, so I'm 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 really glad about that. So, Gurmat Sangeet topic is quite a bit nowadays. The um, you know kind of the external um, aspects, external and internal. I, I always try to say that there is no difference uh, from a Sikhi perspective. But but there's a lot of focus on the external aspects. And uh, since the beginning, um, you know, the, the kind of what to eat and what to read and the differences of that, they, they remain the constant topic that, you know, excites somehow <laughs> from some angle, excites the youth and even the, you know, the older generation in, in certain cases. Um, so, yeah, I would say those are the kind of two or three areas that I see are the major, major things going on right now. You know, the, I mean, I'm very happy to hear about the Gurmit Sangeet part. I think that's awesome. I, I I haven't done a podcast on what to eat and what to read yet. Obviously, in all the podcasts, in all the podcasts. I think that's good. Toward, no, it is good. It is good. And yeah. we've hinted towards things on what, you know, I believe. I don't believe it's very divisive. I just, you know, I'm, I'm more of the Atmarada follower, but it's all good. Uh, I don't talk about those things, but I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And, you know, I have, I have, um, uh, you know, my wife's cousins, you know, they're, they're a little younger than me. So they still go to camps and and things like that. And they ask me about these things all the time, you know, and they Mm -hmm. want to know. And obviously I give them my answers, Uh, but I will say, you know, go do your own research and come back if you have uh, anything you want to share. But, um, so, uh, you, you know, talking about that, talking about the camps they go to and, you know, some camps are very enlightening. They talk about um, they talk about Gurbani, but they talk about what's happening in current events and they have entertainment nights and all those other things. I know mm-hmm. Siddiq is a little different. Siddiq is, uh, you can tell me how many years it's been going on now, but Siddiq is more uh, education based. It's more about, it's really like the it's a it's a boot camp I I would say on Sikhi slash Gurbani, uh, but I, I want the listeners to know what Siddiq is, uh, how long it's been going on, and what is what's you know what's the what's the unique thing about it. Yeah, if if it's okay, before we get into Siddiq, I do want to comment on the camps as well. So so I've I've been uh, volunteering at different camps on and off. Unfortunately, not as consistently as I as I want. You know, uh, re- reality of life kind of kicks in sometimes, but but I think that the camps that we notice or are there, there are many very long running camps in North America, 
um, uh, both on the East Coast and on the West Coast. But then there's also recent camps that are coming up. And I think one thing that I always kind of study is like historical, you know, how the youth or kids used to get educated on Sikhi uh, and, and how that, that progression is going on now. You know, um, we do know in the Guru's time period that there were definitely focus on uh, uh, education of, of, of children uh, from Guru Angad Saab's time. And, and you know, all of there, there was serious educational training of, of six throughout the Guru period and even post-Guru period as well. And it was in, you know, the, the classical fashion where there's no school per se, there are no subject matter. It was really living the life of a Sikh uh, along the way and delving in Gurbani uh, uh, in Rahat and, and all of the other aspects. Uh, you will uh, see in after the, you know, kind of the trauma of uh, the late 1800s, early 1900s, the Singh Sabalair movement with all of the established institutions, one of the things that I actually recall, and we have some members of our advisory council in, 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 in uh, Sikri and other other people who you, you will hear of, of a uh, organization called the All India Sikh Student Federation, which many people know from the 1984 days, but actually started in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and that was the first appearance of this idea of camps, whether they were week long or weekend related camps probably more for the older uh, youth of that time um, and uh, social so camps of any kind there are different schools of thought whether they're useful whether they're not useful but i from a historical perspective see that this idea of camps which then gets augmented to retreats which get augmented to leadership type of retreats which is what civic is um, has a, a place in Sikh history and, and will remain, should remain, will evolve uh, b uh, based on time. Um, but it's worthwhile studying the, the progression of, of camps over, uh, the, uh, over the years. Um, so I just wanted to mention that about camps. And they're doing a great job. It's all volunteer-based. There's certain camps in like New York, we, we all probably know, is like two to 300 kids for a full week. Um, I remember when that camp, I'm talking about CCK specifically, used to be in real tents out in the woods <laughs> with, with 100 plus kids. Uh, it was, you know, really um, an experience just in itself, plus the Kirtan and the, and the, the history and Punjabi lessons that used to go along. Um, you know what? I uh, have to say, though, I, I have to say the camp, I've, I've, I've been to them in the tents. I hated it when I was younger. <laughs> Because you're taking a kid, you're taking a kid from me in Long Island, and you know, and putting them into the woods and experiencing life and stuff. And during that moment, I'm like, what am I doing here, man? I should be out playing basketball <laughs> with my friends. But now when I look back at it, it was, uh, you know, it was good to be uncomfortable. You know, it's like you want to be uncomfortable. You want to be taken out of that zone. You want to be in camps and woods, and then you realize the sick battles and, and you fought they were in camps and woods and you realize you know what you know especially now i guess with all the technology out there what, what's it like to be at without it and and to uh and, and yeah to have your folks there so totally get it man but i totally i, I totally agree yeah no no i and i and i and i would say the same with my experience with in boarding schools like right now we wouldn't imagine putting our kids in boarding school but you know, and when I was growing up in Missouri in boarding school, 
I couldn't believe that I was there without my parents out there and, you know, uh, in that kind of uh, environment. Um, but now I look back, I think it made me stronger. It made me more confident with myself, you know, to be solo at the age of, I think I was eight years old, eight, nine, ten years old. So um, similar, similar idea with the camps. Yeah. As we grow older, of course, all of us will <laughs> reminisce and say, back in the day, we used to do it this way versus what they have today. So, you know, 20 years from now, the kids going to camps will have a different view uh, also of, of their kids. So uh, that's kind of standard uh, as progression uh, of life. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. So, I mean, you, you gave a good history of, uh, of, you know, camps and, uh, you know, they're all good and everyone volunteers and ed- education, which uh, was formalized by Guru Angad Dev Ji in the beginning. Uh, so, uh Sikh Research Institute started holding Siddiq. You know, there's a lot of camps out there yeah. and retreats out there. Why start Siddiq? Right. So, so uh, this year Siddiq will be in its 13th year, um, and uh, so t- started in 2003. Uh, it was a very different, even back then, um, the way Siddiq was organized and, and put in place. I actually got associated with it in the 2005 timeframe. And my first, uh, you know, seva there or my my contribution there was just as an instructor. And I remember distinctly the topic being, uh, you know, Sikh sovereign lifestyle. And so to answer your question, why why I'm bringing this up is what I presented there is what what, like the whole curriculum around there was um, we at Sikri and and then those that founded it and, and, you know, the um, uh, the kind of leadership at that time realized that we have <clears throat> we had Khalsa schools in Gurdwaras back then, we had camps, we had retreats going on back then, and you know in that kind of short period of of time that you know kids go to Khalsa school or they go to camps, etc., um, they get really kind of a flavor maybe or a very high level kind of perspective of uh, Sikh, you know, ideology, thought, Sikh theology, history, etc. And um, so it gives you kind of, a, uh, again, a more of a, uh, a high level or, or external idea of what a Sikh should be. So where people would start talking like Sikhs, they would be looking like Sikhs, but we wouldn't be producing as many Sikhs who were thinking like Sikhs. So the purpose of Siddhak is, again, two weeks is not going to, uh, you know, um, be enough for, for that type of need, which is to make six who think like six as well, not just look and talk like six. But the two weeks with intensive um, curriculum put in place on all aspects of Sikh theology, Sikh history, um, and, and, you know, Sikh Rani Bani, so so that. So um, incorporated in a very uh, systematic way uh, where there's a gradual progression of the different topics. Uh, in addition to that, there is an experiential component as well. So the divan, and by the way, camps have all of that. Camps, retreat, they all have an experiential component where there's a morning and an evening divan. Um, and we'll get into the divan topic maybe a little bit uh, uh, later. But there, so, so, Rounding out the experiential aspect of uh, this, you know, um, a two-week uh, course, so to speak, plus 
the systematic, some would call it an academic approach, but that could be misinterpreted as it's very quote unquote academic researchy and not, not really uh, getting to the crux of the matter. But uh, it's not really like that because the idea of being facilitators versus lecturers and teachers is, is quite ingrained with all of us who, who participate in it. So having that more uh, systematic educational approach with the experiential approach is I think what distinguishes SIDIC and plus it being a, a two week time frame. Um, in addition to that, so the experiential and systematic uh, educational approach, there's also a, a real serious leadership training that takes place. So we have had over the years different kinds of, you know, there's usually a fourth session. And that usually has to do with real life that could be used in the real world leadership skills, whether it be, I mean, there's always a speech uh, uh, kind of a, a presentation competition uh, that, that takes place um, on approved topics that need to be researched while you're there. Um, there's uh, could be, you know, guest lecturers that come in um, and from a myriad of different, either the business world or the political world or the academic world um, um, who, who come in and, and, and uh, present and engage with the uh, participants of SIDIC. So it's a, it's a well-rounded leadership um, training program and the idea is that um, you know those that pass through Siddiq and there's three different uh, tracks associated with that um, by the time you know if you know I, I know of many um, participants of Siddiq that have gone to all three tracks they are the leadership material that has created a lot of the SIC organizations that we actually know of today, either created or participated and taken to the next level, uh, different SIC organizations today. So it, it, that was the, the vision and the goal of SIDIC is to be a training ground for our leaders of, of tomorrow and actually even today as well. So um, another, by the way, just so to answer, and this is a direct quote from a participant where the you know certain camps or retreats especially for the older youth or or, or the you know young adults are more like um you know like correspondence courses or or, or community college uh civic is is you know kind of the uh, um you know the uh, a, a more accredited college or accredited university type of type of setting um and so we also have plans by the way to you know maybe uh, expand civic to actually be that where you know training from civic really actually means something uh for either stu students who graduate to go back to their communities and and participate in in community affairs um or you know be mem leadership member within their gurdwara in their gurdwaras or other sikh organizations so so there's like kind of a little bit of a seriousness and don't get me wrong there is also fun and entertainment that goes on which you have to have with, with all kinds of retreats and camps and, and including civic oh that's great that's great so uh, if someone listening they want to find out more they want to know how much it is where it is you know and all the dates yeah. and all that stuff where where can they get all that info yeah so um you can actually go to uh, www.civic.org 
or also on the Sikri uh, homepage, uh, Sikri.org. So Siddak is held um, in the last week of July and the first week of August this year. It will be, uh, and for the past uh, two, three years, has been in um, um, a cultural retreat center in Mission Valley, British Columbia. So it's about an hour and a half outside of Vancouver area. And um, I, I did mention, right, there, there are three. So what, the first thing that has to be done is for someone who's interested is to choose which track that they want to participate in. And so there are three different tracks, which is called Sikhi 101, Sikhi 201, and Gurbani 101. So Sikhi 101, like it implies, and it's also named like a, like college courses, right, is, is like kind of the entry-level course for, uh, again, all aspect, all tracks will have components of, you know, Gurbani, the Het, and Dwarik. So, so basically, it will have a component of Guru, Guru Granth Sahib, and Gurbani. Um, uh, it will have this Dwarik, which has to do with our history. So, whether it be right from the beginning or contemporary history as well, and uh, the Hajj aspect. So, really, the the social engagement, the individual engagement in the community. You know, those aspects are all covered in all three uh, tracks. Even the Gurbani 101, which is a language track. Um, will incorporate those type of aspects uh, within it. Um, Sikhi 201, so Sikhi 101 is the entry-level course. Sikhi 201 is l literally like a college-level symposium course where you have um, intensive 80 to 100-page readings per night, and then you have a um, kind of seminar-style sessions the next day on the reading that you've done. And Gurbani 101 is, is based primarily on the Sikri uh, online course that we have on, on the language of the Guru Granth Sahib and the different uh, aspects. There are actually videos available online um, uh, for uh, you know, more details on each of, the, uh, each of the tracks as well. It will be, it, it is, uh, there is a fee associated with it um, because of, it's a two week fully uh, you know, e equipped uh, uh, you know, uh, sessions uh, Food, boarding, lodging, all of that. So it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, actually it's nine hundred dollars. One of the things that we are very, very serious about is that the funds to attend a Siddhak should not be a reason to not be able to attend. So we have a very generous uh, financial aid plan. So when the application is filled out, um, financial aid um, can be sought as well. Another feedback from one of the parents of a graduate of Siddhak, I'm quoting almost directly, is that Siddhak has, you know, transformed my son so much that uh, I think Siddhak should be mandatory and it should be free for all six who are graduating high school and entering college. Um, so we obviously we're not there yet. Needs a lot of scaling, needs a lot of uh, funding to to make that happen. But that's kind of the vision, at least my personal vision for Siddhak, that becomes such a program. Uh, but what we can do in the meantime is make sure that funds are not the reason why someone cannot attend. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, more information, more detailed information. Always reach out to anyone at um, info at .org, um, or go directly to www.sidak.org. Great. Uh, thanks for uh, letting us know that in the brief. I mean, I've seen 
uh, and talked with people that have been to civic and it basically changes their lives. You know, uh, I mean, the people that I saw definitely changed their lives or it changed the course of their life, if not their whole life, but another direction, another dimension they never thought of. You know, um, I, I listen to Tony Robbins a lot and I read his stuff and, you know, breakthroughs could happen in a moment. So I think, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, Siddick, Siddick could uh, give you those breakthroughs and I've seen it. I, I've seen it to all the, um, all the workshops and all the fundraisers that I go to and, and I see that the, the civic alumni and it's pretty powerful. So I uh, appreciate you explaining that and letting everybody know. I know we're running out of time, but uh, I really appreciate uh, what we, uh, your, your time today. If anyone wants to reach out to you, if anyone from Japan wants to reach out to you, how do they reach out to you? <laughs> uh, where, where are you living online? How could they get a hold of you? Right. So I definitely have a Facebook uh, presence. Um, but, you know, interestingly, my um, uh, Twitter handle is Joe Marzi, J-O-M-A-R-Z-I-I. And if, I, if, you, if you allow me, it, it, it's because of my interaction with kids at camp that my Twitter handle is Joe Marzi. <laughs> so back, back in the day uh, when, you know, IMing on AOL was like even a new thing, um, I, and obviously I didn't have one. I was uh, at one of the camps teaching the kids, and you know the, the little, the the young kids would make fun of me, of Virgie being serious in, in in class time, but having fun playing basketball or doing other things outside. And uh, you know there was that little term where uh, they would come and say whatever, you know, with a, like a W, whatever. So I used to like tease them, uh, you know how to say whatever in Punjabi? <laughs> and, and they would say Joe Marzi. <laughs> so they started calling me Joe Marzi Virji. And uh, when I came back home and says, hey, give us your handle. And I said, I don't, I don't have one. Make one for me. And they made it and called it Joe Marzi. So I've had that for 20 years almost. <laughs> oh, wow, man. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I like on that. The, on like my that. other things. And now you, so you can find me on Twitter. as, as Great. Uh, well, thanks a lot in the preaching. We could talk forever. I know we got to yeah. go. Appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate you doing this. And, uh, you know, um, I, I, I love the other uh, podcasts that you've done, and I hope you will do many, many more. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, man.